This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. It's Tuesday, the 27th of September, and you are listening to The Morning Run with Chong Jensen and Philip C. And I'm the one and only Wong Xiaoning. Yay, hello, very good morning. Rainy day though. Yeah, be careful on the road because it could be very slippery and I'm sure traffic is already building up in some parts of the city. That's right. Just a friendly reminder, 95 days to the end of the year. (laughs) Is it 95 days? 95 days, exactly. What have you done? uh, A lot. Managing your... But anyway, today is also, by the way, World Tourism Day. Yeah. So we have some programming lined up which is related somewhat to that. Uh, but I think, you know, after COVID-19, where we were literally locked up at home or, you know, couldn't venture more than 10 kilometres, there is clearly a bit of cabin fever going out, going on. And mm. a lot of people do want to resume travelling. But just remember, those SOPs still exist. Although I think China is probably one of the last few countries which have any form of quarantine and uh, border controls. Because even Taiwan, Japan, Japan all relaxed recently. I don't know. I think people are just booking the tickets. And I saw recently in Hong Kong, Basically, I think ah, the quarantine hotels all over, right? Were jammed full. Yeah. So tell me, gentlemen, where are you going to next on your holidays? I'm off to London to enjoy the pound at 4.58. Uh, no, no, sorry. It's not 4.98. What? It's, it's not, not. It's not. This morning, this morning, 4.9192. What? It's rebounded. <laughs> it's rebounded from yesterday's oh, low, 4.8. Goodness gracious me. But don't worry, half of Malaysia will be there too. Half of Malaysia will be there. <laughs> At least the Kampung London. Yeah, the Kampung London, the 1% of KL. <laughs> Jensen, are you planning to go anywhere? Uh, it's subject to you giving me leave, isn't it? <laughs> I already told you all, just submit and I will say yes. When I, when I'm not such an ogre when it comes she to leave. She is an ogre, be careful, Jensen. Hello, to go Philip, to London. Philip C is off to London, okay? Yeah, She'll so, breathe fire into your nostrils. That's nonsense, don't scare him. But anyway, we have a packed show. Uh, at 7.15, we're going to be talking about the elections because it could cost us as much as 1 billion ringgit. And this is according to the election. Yeah. Commission. So really, how much should the price tag of uh, price tag factor into the timeline of the elections? We'll ask Danish Prakash Chako of Tindak Malaysia on what he thinks. And at 7.30, the pound sterling is the latest currency to join the race to the bottom against the greenback. And for this, we discuss the outlook for currencies with Saktianda Supat of Maybank Singapore. Very interesting point. And as we try and try and cajole Jensen to plan his next holiday, at 7.45 to mark World Tourism Day, we check in with Nigel Wong of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, Mata, for their budget 2023 wish list. All this and more on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9609, Tuesday, 27th of September. You're listening to The Morning Run with Philip C. Chong Jensen and I'm Wong Shaoning and that song was Human by The Killers asking you a question whether you're human or whether you're a dancer. I'm definitely more human than dancer. I Definitely, I've got two left feet. Jensen, please. Definitely more human. Definitely not a dancer. I thought I saw you at the Tango... F- Tango uh, dance floor yesterday night. Where? Where I, were y'all hanging twin, out? Do you know that? Are oh, you have a twin, really? Yeah. So and, might have been. Him. And he was a tango dancer. Oh my uh, god! He just chat okay, okay. Anyway, let's just move on. Move on. Moving on, guys. Uh, in front of us is this article by the BBC entitled "The Jobs Employers Just Can't Fill," and it's all about the fact that some sectors are crying out for employees, but. Even though you might be throwing money at them, you still can't fill those posts. Uh, Jensen, did you choose this story? Uh, yes, you, I did. Tell us why. 
Um, okay, I chose it because I thought it was quite interesting that um, people still can afford to be picky and choosy in the wake of possible uh, uh, quite a steep economic slowdown and recession looming. So I'm not so sure if this article will be relevant maybe six months down the road when uh, reality really bites and jobs become a bit more scarce. Um, so I think the article really talks about um, people who are, who are still resisting jobs in certain industries, and it's mainly in hospitality. Mm. It's mainly in service work industries, like positions such as being a dishwasher, truck drivers, retail workers. And I guess if we were to draw parallels to Malaysia, Malaysia lacks 1.3 million workers, and these jobs are most acute in manufacturing, palm oil, uh, construction, construction uh, and... Generally, Malaysians don't want to do these jobs. Yeah, the 3D jobs, right? Dirty, dangerous and demeaning. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest issues you see happening now. And as we say, people, Malaysians don't want to take... So then what, what do employers do? They start automating. For example, dishwashers, they have washing machines. You go to the restaurants, they are these robots that serve you food now. What happens now when you go to the airport, you know, check-in agents, you do yourself check-in. Across the board, I think employers are looking at the situation and saying, okay, if, if people can't fill in the vacancy, I will have to find ways. If I can't find supermarket checkout uh, people, I will have to automate and you do your own self-checkout. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad I thing. I think this forces a lot of companies to make that transition, to pivot quickly. Because in the past, when we had readily available cheap labour, we then clung on to yes. it, right? We never spent any money in terms of uh, automation, on using IT, on using big data. But this causes that shift. And that shift will hopefully push along that need for Malaysia to have higher productivity, productivity and higher paying jobs, which is something that... You know, we keep hearing about the problem that our country faces mm. as a structural issue. Yeah, and you need up that upskilling. The question is whether our education system prepares us with that better skills. It's a bigger issue here. So I, I, I worry sometimes that the system that we 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 learn is perpetuating this vision of what is a great job, but they're not equipped with the right skills to do that job. That's, I think, one of the biggest challenges. And that's why there's these vacancies taking place everywhere for these purported low-skill jobs. Yeah, but the businesses also have to adjust, right? So they need to shift rather than just bark, bark, bark and say, I can't get the labour, I can't get the mm. labour. Maybe what needs to happen is that each worker needs to improve their level of productivity. So there's no denying some jobs, there will still always be a human element. For example, let's say uh, in the service industry, mm. in restaurants, in hospitality, maybe like, you know, you might have to just work a little bit harder for every hour and then you pay people accordingly. So I'm not saying make your workers work harder for the same sum of money, but no, actually increase those wages, right? Make it a job that people want to do. So I think this is where it becomes very interesting, right? How do you make sure that that waiter or waitress adds value to the job? So I was at... Pay uh, more. Pay more, but you know, it has to compensate with the service you yes, offer. That's yes. the biggest challenge, right? How so, do you remove the menial parts then? Okay, so we've, you know, I think all of us have probably been to Australia, right? Where, you know, service labour is extremely expensive yeah. per hour. And in the service industry, like in the restaurant, I've been to restaurants like small restaurants where it's literally just two waitresses or two waiters running a whole restaurant and they work 
non-stop. Now, I can only imagine that they do so because they are very well paid and they probably have a great share of the tips every night. Mm. So I think, or profit sharing. So I think employers need to overcome, uh, think about out-of-the-box solutions, pay more than everyone else uh, to get the labour in. Although I have friends who also run restaurants and tell me, Shouting, I'm doing that and I still can't get people to work. Mm. So I don't know what is that neat balance. I've seen a high-end Chinese restaurant in Malaysia running on two or three waiters or waitresses mm. and the service was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder whether it's because we are not such a great service-oriented country, but uh, we should be. We, we should, should be shifting that paradigm. We should be shifting and thinking about things slightly different. Uh, but let us know what you think. You can tweet in. Our handle is at BFM Radio. Or, of course, you can WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. Are we ready for autonomy? Are we ready to pay workers more? Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll be back after these messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 6.20, Tuesday, the 27th of September, and that song was Free by the Martinis. I'm Wong Shaoning together with Philip C. and Chong Jensen, and we are The Morning Run. Now, before we get into the next story, I would like to read this WhatsApp that came in and let's just call him side. He says that Grab, because we were talking about the shortage of workers, right? Yep. And how come, uh, even though you might be able to, tr- you might be throwing money at potential employees, they just don't want to take up those jobs. And he said that Grab, Food Panda are the reasons for the shortage of local workers. Uh, these, those were working 2,500 ringgit salaries resigned from their jobs. So now there's a shortage of semi-technical workers like mechanics, shop assistants. And he is probably relating about his own in, uh, business, which is that his workshop is short of manpower. In China, we had this side conversation also that, you know, during the good times, many people thought, okay, as we discussed yesterday, you become a grab driver through the side hustle. Yes. And then it becomes your full-time job. But if we enter a recessionary period and then realize, okay, we need something more stable, do you think people will shift back, you know, from doing grab or food panda full-time back to these kind of jobs, which are actually going to be more stable? Potentially. And also, I think uh, the reality of grab and food panda, I'm, uh, you know, all these side hustles, all these gig work there's nothing wrong with it but there is a ceiling to how much you can earn yeah because uh it's based on basically the number of hours that you do right um mm. so at some point do you then question if i want to progress and i want to earn more money what are the choices that i have to make so i think those are the reality checks that people mm. need to ask themselves plus gig work currently unless you opt in does not provide much social security you do not get epf for example so I think those are the considerations. The choices you have to make. You have to make. Uh, but in the meantime, this morning, we are looking at, and actually looking at the United Nations website because today is World Tourism Day. And I think the, the tagline is Rethinking Tourism. So, I, 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 you know, the COVID-19 pandemic put a pause to the way we traveled. And I, I'm going to confess upfront. I used to take a holiday almost every quarter. It was so easy, right? You could just book a low-cost carrier flight somewhere nearby and maybe do once a year that longer-distance travel. But now I'm thinking to myself, do I really want to continue that model? Is it the model of sustainability, right? If I truly want, and I should not be contributing more than I need to to the world's 
global carbon emissions. Mm. And should I take longer breaks, think about more about the transportation decisions I make when I'm on holiday? So I, I don't know whether your gentlemen have started to rethink your holiday plans. I'm rethinking for sure. I'm thinking of longer but more meaningful holidays rather than short and sharp holidays. When you take a step back, right, the tourism industry is such an important part of the world economy. If you look at the stats, right, especially in Malaysia, in 2019, it contributed 14% of our GDP. And globally, travel and tourism contributed 10% of the global economic output of this of the world. So it goes to show how important for us to start rethinking it to make sure it's a sustainable model to drive economic growth. I'm just dying for any holiday, so I've not really rethinked <laughs> my travel plans. But yeah, I think, Philip, I mean... For, there's a lot of competition for tourism dollars. Yes. And I think really, uh, realistically, business-wise, I think a lot of countries are waiting for mainland China to really um, fully liberate uh, mm. international travels mm. because it really brings a lot of tourism dollars for lots of countries, including Malaysia. That's very true, you know, because I was at Phuket uh, just a couple of weeks back. And if you go to Phuket in the past... Are you following me? Oh, shut up. I would never follow you. I'm my, I'm my own man. I basically trailblazer. I'm right? a trailblazer. I went to Phuket first. So I'm just but going kidding. to London last. But never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, with Phuket, right, it's very interesting. In the past model, they were attracting a lot of Chinese tourists. So you could recall the tarmac was full of Chinese aircraft. Now you only see the Middle East carriers mm. and mostly Indian carriers. So the, the dynamics have changed a lot. Yeah. So I remember I was telling you one of the signs yes. of that is the signage at Phuket Airport, yes, right? Yes. So there's four languages uh, used in the signage. English, Thai, Russian and Chinese. Correct. Yes. I, absolutely. So this tells you who are the biggest markets in in uh, Phuket. And let's let's say Russians aren't travelling, right? Because sure. of all the sanctions. sanctions. The Chinese aren't being let out of the country. So Thailand must be really feeling the pinch. And that's where the question is. When you rethink, not only do you rethink from a sustainability standpoint, how do you repivot your business model fast as you see the flows of tourism, natural tourism flows changing very rapidly? So I know we're all waiting for the Chinese tourist, but what do you do in the meantime until the Chinese tourist comes? Yeah, you can't just sit there and wait, right? So probably what you're thinking about is how do you get a bigger share of the wallet for each arrival that that is coming through mm. Thailand. How do you encourage them to stay longer, visit more parts of the country? And that's the same conversation we are having in Malaysia, right? Because we really want greater share of global tourism, but at a sustainable point of perspective also, right? Mm. Um, you know, in Malaysia, for example, I can't get over the fact that we are one of the cheapest destinations in ASEAN. Our five-star hotels are the cheapest in this area, in this world, in one of the world. Why is that so? Are we not so attractive? Can't we command that premium? Let's say to Singapore, where I think now room rates are at a 10 it's decade very high, expensive. especially with the Grand Prix coming up. Yeah, I think also um, we shouldn't shouldn't forget there's actually a still a cry for help from tourism bodies such as Mata and the, the president has come up to say that, you know, we have suffered for two years. He really hopes that the upcoming budget, October 7, there'll be more incentive and funds for tourism players as well. Well, we'll be finding out at 7.45 7.45, because we will be talking to Nigel Wong, who is the Honorary Treasury and Spokesperson for the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, which is MATA, uh, about what's ailing his industry and also also his budget wish list. Up next is the 6.30am news bulletin and to take us out is cold as ice. 
by Foreigner. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 6 Tuesday, the 27th of September. You're listening to The Morning Run and that song is... She's in fashion by Suede, dedicated to me. I have, to say, I have to say, of all the bosses I've had, you are the most fashionable. Thank you. Was it I a very low bar, though? It was a very low bar, <laughs> but you set a very high bar going forward for my future bosses, I have to say. I, I do like my fashion, I have to confess. Um, even at five in the morning, I enjoy getting dressed for work. I enjoy getting dressed. I think it, it sets it's me... It's a ritual for you, I think. Yeah, it sets me in the right tone. So imagine if I'm not well-dressed, I'll probably be a, a bigger leaf ogre than I claim to be. And there you go. That's how you brown nose a boss. Yeah. <laughs> I have to take notes, Philip. You have to take notes. <laughs> That's how come Philip has come so far. I have come so far. <laughs> but in the meantime, at this time of the morning, we are looking at the international headlines. Uh, Jensen, do you want to start, please? Yes. So um, I'm looking at uh, this piece of news. It's carried by the Star. And it says that South Korea has said that Interpol has requested law enforcement worldwide to locate and arrest Terraform Labs co-founder Do Kwan who faces charges related to US $60 billion white pop of cryptocurrencies he created. So he is hiding then. But he and said he wasn't hiding. He said he wasn't hiding, but he is actually hiding. So it's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. He was last it's... seen in Singapore, I think, and then so, he left. <laughs> so no one can find him. He hasn't turned up, and so much so that they need an arrest warrant. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, this cryptocurrency space does create some very interesting characters. And of course, when you look at the cryptocurrency prices, they have really plunged on a year-to-date basis more than... 60% for for Ether and 58% for Bitcoin. A lot of uncertainty there. Yeah, a lot of personalities that have come out from crypto, I think, you know. Uh, I think this is, Doquan is just one example of really how, you know, you it can just go all ori very fast, you know. Although you've seen also these very young people also who have become gone to billionaires. become billionaires, give all their money away to philanthropy as well, right? You've got all the it's all, all in the spectrum, I think, with respect to crypto. Very interesting. Uh, what else has caught your eye, Philip? Well, I was just looking at the star and, I, you know, yesterday we were talking about the typhoon in Philippines. You now see also Typhoon Noru in Vietnam also blasting across Vietnam. So I think you're seeing again this surge of weather patterns taking place all around. Yeah. But what caught my mind actually is Thailand, Thailand's election, right? And they're actually saying in an opinion poll now, ex-Prime Minister Thaksin Shinawatra's Who was in Penang? Daughter. Yeah, he was in Penang yeah, was in with Penang. his right. daughter, right? Yes, sister. His sister, sorry. The other prime minister. The other prime minister, yeah. Ying Luck, right? Maybe was the daughter the... was with them too. But the daughter now is leading in opinion polls. Apparently, she is the most popular candidate at the age of 36, Shaoning, to become the next prime minister of Thailand. What have you amounted to in life? Not much. I, I mean, I might be well-dressed, but that's about <laughs> that's it. That's about it. <laughs> I never achieved any form of power. Except maybe deciding leave for y'all, granting leave yes. for y'all. allowing us to go on holidays. Yes. Uh, but talking about protests, in Iran, they continue to spread. So the foreign uh, ministry there has accused America and some European countries of attempting to violate its sovereignty by supporting them. This is reported by The Economist. So far, 41 people have died during 10 days of demonstration, sparked by the death in police custody of Masa Amini, a young woman detained, apparently for wearing a loose hijab. But I was listening to this podcast and it's more than that, right? Because Iran is facing severe economic crisis, years of sanctions, unemployment is very high. So it's probably a lot of these demonstrations reflect the deep-rooted unhappiness people feel about the current circumstances. Uh, but what has caught your eye, Jensen? Okay, um, I'm looking at an article by CNBC and it says that Apple on Monday, which is yesterday, has said that it is, it is assembling its flagship 
i414 in india and while it's not new that apple has always been manufacturing iphones in india since 2017 but the i414 is its latest model in its lineup uh, to be manufactured in india and to look at a recent jp morgan report he has said that apple will move 5% of its global production for the i414 to india by late of this year and Apple could make up about 25% of all iPhones by 2025 in India. I suppose this is part of diversifying away from China, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it uh, is. You know, because of the continued US-China trade tensions. But fun fact, gentlemen, on Bloomberg, it is reported that electric blanket sales have soared as homeowners face steep fuel bills. So people and, are already thinking uh, out of the box in terms of how they can reduce their yeah, energy costs. And these electric blankets are actually produced in China, the irony of all that. <laughs> I think this is a very interesting point because, you know, yesterday we talked about uh, the pound collapsing following the mini budget by the UK with the intention to add this stimulus. But what you what is worrying now is that because of the higher borrowing costs and higher interest rates, you're also having this worry about inflation, you know, creeping into the UK even accelerated further. Mm. You know, driving and actually importing inflation over, actually even r- increasing energy prices yeah. in the UK. And so then, what's the point of all these energy caps then? Well, we'll find out when we talk to Saktiandi Supat. He's the head of Forex Research at uh, Maybank Singapore at six. Uh, sorry, at 7.35. So keep it here. Uh, up next, we've got some messages. BFM 89.9. 6.50, Tuesday the 27th of September, and you're listening to The Morning Run. And that was Heading for the Light by the Travelling Wilburys. Um, at this time of the morning, we are looking at all the local stories that have caught our eye. Jensen, do you want to start? What has caught your eye? Okay, um, I'm looking at an article by The Star, and it says that BNM or Bank Negara has announced yesterday five additional security measures to be taken up by financial institutions. And this is in a bid to strengthen safeguards against financial scams, which has been quite prevalent. And among the latest measures is uh, it's requiring financial institutions to migrate from SMS one-time passwords, which are OTP, to more secure forms of authentication for online activities or transactions relating to account openings, fund transfers and payments. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I think one of the top five initiatives that everyone I think will feel very clearly impacting your dis- your you know your verifications as you basically do your online payments on mobile banks. As you say, right, the number of online scams are increasing. Just yeah. to give you a sense of the numbers, in twenty twenty one, you had over twenty thousand cases uh, with losses of about five hundred and sixty million. Just this year alone, seven months already, we have already passed twelve thousand cases with losses at four hundred and fourteen million. So if we extrapolate that, right, we're talking north about 700, 800 million. This is nearly a 30 to 40% increase to last year in 2021. And these are actual police numbers because it was reported by the IGP, Inspector General of Police, right? So Mm. uh, basically the PSA out there is if anything looks suspicious, it probably is. So just ignore it. Call your bank. You know, if anybody calls you claiming this and that, just say, hang up. And then call your bank yourself to mm. find out. I had my credit card clone recently for nearly thirty to forty thousand wow. ringgit. Wow! Did yeah. they manage to? Did you manage to claw back? Uh, not yet. It, it eventually appeared on my statement, so right. the bank's looking into it. But it was for silly things like ear, hearing aids, ironically, <laughs> and also I think some form of skincare. <laughs> wow! What kind of skincare? Thirty thousand. I know. Mm. I don't use skincare, so it's definitely not me. <laughs> 
Well, you would definitely look much better if you did. But anyway, wow. ouch, 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 oh, ouch, ouch. Okay, I have other news on Malaysia Kini. Uh, prosecution is going to appeal against Zahid's acquittal. So, of course, this is in relation to his foreign visa system corruption case. So, the notice was to bring the case before the Court of Appeal. It was filed today and it was confirmed by our AG Idris uh, Harun. So, yeah. looks like uh, Zahid is not off the hooks for this case at least. And not of course, his case. other case is ongoing. Yes, I mean, the, the other big cases are still going, especially the Yasan Akalbudi case that has not yet uh, concluded. We had a very interesting conversation yesterday with uh, Bridget, Dr. Bridget Welsh about the profile of Dr. Zahid Hamidi. The man what, himself. The man himself and what it means right, for the broader implications of UMNO. You know, you talked about just, just about rising prices. DH Express announced on Monday yesterday that they're going to increase their prices right by 8% effective January 1st due to factors including inflation and currency dynamics. So if you want to ship that parcel, take into account the higher cost. I think there's going to be prices, price increases for a wide range of services, goods going forward. Inflation is not transitory. It is extremely sticky, if you ask me. Now, uh, turning to politics, the Malay Mill has an interesting headline, I'm no main enemy Awkward when we are all in the same ruling coalition. Past tells Bersatu. Wow, okay. So, so much for Malay unity there. it's supposed to be all in uh, Perikatan National. Well, so I, I think this is where Barsa, I think some parts of Bersatu want to be closer to Amno, but parts I think cannot reconcile with Amno. So because of Muafaka National, so this I think is the con- the consideration here, right? This whole talk about Malay unity seems very hard to realize because they're just very hard to reconcile certain values. I think they're just positions. basically also fighting among each other, right, for power at the end of the day, and it's like who's the top dog? So a lot of behind-the-scenes negotiations probably going on with regards to even seat allocations. Uh, So lots of posturing here and Mm. there. We'll be following this story nonetheless. But I think the Edge CEO Morning Brief headline is something a lot of Malaysians are concerned about and that is, of course, the ringgit because there seems to be no let-up in the ringgit's depreciation. It has busted, let me see, this morning Bloomberg reports against the US dollar 4.603 I think, well, you know, I think just to put things into perspective, though, if you hold ringgit versus the US dollar, yes, the US has appreciated, so has the Sing dollar, but actually versus British pound, 12%, Japanese yen, 12%, Euro, 6% stronger versus uh, these three currencies. So perhaps I feel this is a, a bias towards what you're saying, US dollar strength, right? I mean, what you saw overnight in the pound is really a combination of US dollar strength and weak economic fundamentals over here in uh, in the UK. So in, in Malaysia, I still feel that it's still more about the US dollar strength. What are your thoughts about that? Um, it is because at the end of the day, US dollar is still the reserve currency of the world, right? It mm. is also the currency that we as an exporting nation trade mainly in. So it is the it's the currency of choice. It's the currency that we look to in terms of how our the volatility, what's important. So we can't ignore it, even though, yes, you're right, actually, uh, the ringgit versus a lot of other currencies actually has appreciated. But when there's a lot of volatility, it does make it very challenging for businesses, right? Because then how do you sell your goods? How much supplies, at what price do you then take in your raw mat cost? Yeah. So this volatility makes it challenging. And I think the volatility is here to stay because the Fed has insisted has, that they're going to increase uh, their rates. And then at the same time, the UK pound is sinking. So 
it's not an easy time at all not to be a trader, to be involved in the global economy. Uh, but up next, of course, we've got the 7am news. And to take us out is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.